0: DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Jimmy's Flowers. Jimmy's Flowers reminding you Valentine's Day is Sunday. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, and they can make it easy. Just visit them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's Day is on Sunday. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. Time to welcome in Steve Kluven, our basketball insider. Steve, Good morning. Good morning. Steve, jazz fans are a mixed bunch right now. Jazz have won 15 out of 16 games, and there are people who are ready to dream. There are the people who are superstitious, do not do not even want us to speak of it. And I don't know how we cannot speak of it because you know it's a, it's radio. If we sit here in silence, that kind of defeats the purpose. And they got the best record in the NBA a third of the way through the season here. What else can you say other than, you either have to be a contender. When you have the best record, you're either the favorite or you're a contender. Realistically, the Lakers are the defending champs. They're a game back. They're the favorite. But the Jazz are at least a contender. In your mind, what's the number one reason they're a legit contender?
1: Their depth, I think, more, more than anything. I think they, and, I mean, I, I think I just think their depth and the consistency by which they've played. Um, Mitchell, DeGarnevich, Conley, Clarkson. Uh, Anil, you know, I mean, game in and game out. There haven't been the real highs and lows like you get in a season and, and I mean this this whole thing with games being postponed and canceled and the COVID and and for whatever reason, some organizations have struggled more with that than others. Others struggle with injuries. But the Jazz have been kind of free of injury. They've had a few COVID issues, but nothing real dramatic. And they've just been consistent in, in playing together and doing what they've always done. I think the other thing that is is unique to this season is there's really no home court advantage, and so what happens is this: you take a more experienced, mature team that uh, you know could go on the road and have a really difficult time at different places that they you know teams that maybe they don't match up well with. They're able to win these games on the road uh, because there isn't that influence of a home court advantage like there has been in the past. And with a mature group, a group that's been together, that's unselfish, they play selfless basketball. Uh, I think they're going to flourish in, in, in this kind of situation and setup. And I think that uh, it's much like uh, they had the bubble, you know, they they played well, they didn't play well enough, but this year they're playing better than they've ever played. And, and, and night in and night out, you can pretty much count on Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Conley, Clarkson. You know, you're, you're getting 10, 15, 20, what the different averages that they are, but they've been real consistent. So I think that's why you look at this team as a contender. But I, I still believe that the real X factor in this whole thing and which will have an impact on, uh, really, I think who ends up being the NBA champion is number one, uh, COVID. And I think that how that plays out, if we're going to go back to the bubble, you know, what that's going to look like. And then the teams that have to deal with protocol. The, the, the protocol, you're losing guys, two or three guys a week, and you don't have that continuity. Uh, you can put yourself in a hole so that, uh, you know, maybe all of a sudden a first-round matchup is not one you want. So I think there are things that are impacting it. But the thing for me, most of all, is that they've just been consistent and mature. They're in a veteran group. They're well-coached. And, uh, and they're playing with a lot of confidence.
2: How much has the three-point shot become an equalizer now? Well, uh, you know, I mean,
1: it, it's, it's, it is the game. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things. And, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, being in professional arenas when I was younger and, and shooting that thing. And, it, you know, it, it seemed like a, a pretty long way, 25, 26, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, I never thought that it would, when it first came in, I knew that it would impact the game, especially in the college game at, you know, 18 or 19 feet. But uh, it's had a huge impact. And and what happens is that you can spread the floor with shooters. It makes it so much harder to defend people. I mean, it's kind of like you can't leave this guy, you know, who you're going to help on. And hence, you know, we don't see a lot of low post players in, in, in the league. There just aren't. And the game is driven by the three-point ball and good defense and transition baskets and scoring. I mean, the scores have been unbelievable. A lot of games in the 130s, 140s throughout the NBA. Uh, but, yeah, it's had, that's, that is the most significant part of the game today that has, has changed professional basketball. I mean, I, I didn't think that it would take off like it is, but now everybody shoots the three. And uh, and and you know what? Jazz got guys that can do it. I mean, Gobert's not really a three-point shooter, but everybody around him is, and, and he knows his role. He, you know, he doesn't need. I mean, when he, when Gobert gets twenty and twenty and has big nights like that, they're they're nearly unstoppable. But I mean, they they can win without Gobert getting twenty points. Uh, they don't need that inside floor opens, and uh, guys are playing with a lot of confidence. So
0: I think the thing that's happened with the Jazz that has been encouraging here is not only have they won, but they've lost Joe Ingles for a couple of games, and they kept winning. They lost Donovan Mitchell for a couple of games, and they won them both. Now Mike Conley's out, and they win in Indiana, and they don't shoot the three well. But they defend well, they only give up 95 points, and they get 17 offensive rebounds and 24 points off of them. So even though they're missing a guy, and they're playing their third game in four days, and they're not shooting the three well— they still beat a five hundred team on the road. Granted, watered down road, as you point out, but that kind of stuff is encouraging because it's one thing to win when everything goes right. You could probably go back to some of your teams and the most satisfying wins are winning when everything doesn't go
1: right. Yeah, there's there's no question about that, and I think and and the mo- and thing is, those are the types of wins that give you the most confidence and the expectation level. I mean, when obviously every team has great coaches, coaching staffs. But when teams are kind of more player led, and they have that kind of mindset that you know we we can do this, we can run on the road with or without an individual, and somebody else has to step up, or we individually we've got to be better, and and you see that with more mature teams, and uh, you know there's not you start looking at their roster, and I, I, I didn't I haven't done the research on it, but they've been together for a while now, you know, and I mean Conley being the newest member of that team, but a seasoned veteran. It's not like he's, I mean, he struggled at times last year, but he's come in and really, Bogdanovich has really, really shot the ball well. Clarkson could start on any team in the NBA probably. Uh, and, and then with, with Mitchell and Ingle and, and others, O'Neal. Uh, and it's its nice, nice, you know, I can't remember the exact name, but Ingle stepped up in a couple of those ball games where, you know, he, he ended up having 18, 19 points. And when guys can step up, and I think, you know, I don't think for Joe Engel that he feels he goes into a game when they're healthy and full that he has to score 20 points. I mean, he'll take the shots that are there. But when guys are missing and he can do that and step into that role, uh, it, it makes them better. But I, I, I'll just go back to teams that, in, in collegiate level, it would be teams that have, you know, a lot of seniors, teams that have guys that have played that uh, practices aren't as long. Sell them on the mistakes as often as they are when you have younger players. And I, I watch the NBA. I see a lot of new names and a lot of new guys, 2 You know, year two-year players. Uh, they're they're in organizations that don't have the chemistry and have the culture that the Jazz have. And uh, it's it's harder to it's harder to beat teams like the Jazz uh, if you don't have those things. And and we talk about that stuff all the time. That, that it's, it's important, you know. Well, that's true. There are five or six teams in the conference right now, or in the, in the league, that could win the championship. You know, we could talk about those. Who those are? In and, and pretty much every one of those situations, they have a really, really strong culture. They have they have people who know who they are. They know their roles. Uh, they understand the system they're in. Doesn't mean they can't have off nights. Then there's another collection of five or six teams who can get hot and get it going. But to go through a whole series of playoffs and that grind, there's only, you know, there's five or six teams that can do that. And, and Utah is one of them. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think they've been one of those teams. And, and now I think they are. I think they believe it. I think probably the coaching staff's always felt that. But that's one of the really challenging and important things that a coaching staff can get young people to believe in who they are. And, and trust it and, you know, and just be together. And the Jazz seem to be a team that everybody looks around the league, you always hear them talking about, you know, the maturity of this team. Not that they're old, but the maturity of this team and they're, they're, the way they play, how unselfish they are, and the fact that they're a really good shooting team. And as you mentioned earlier, David, they, they, they're, they're, they're garden people. They're garden people. And when they're not shooting well, and that's the perfect formula for winning on the road, when you can guard and rebound and get to the free-throw line. So, uh, they're doing all the things they got to do, but you're right. I mean, you, you look at the Lakers, you look at the Clippers in their own division, the, those are teams that are going to have to be reckoned with, but it, I've never seen, after 25 so games, <laughs> to see the difference from one year to the next, you know, where you, you're looking at Miami, a team that was in the bubble, in the finals, and you know, at the bottom of the standings, or to you know, I, I wasn't sure I had seen Philadelphia at the top. Milwaukee's back, though. Brooklyn, we expect to be there. Boston, uh, you know, those are probably the four teams. I mean, Boston's been playing without Brown for, for a while now, and uh, they're they're still hanging in there. But there's, like I said, there's a collection of six or seven teams. Denver seems to be playing better, but again, they all kind of have a lot of them just don't have the depth that uh or the or may or maybe that additional that third superstar that helps them get over the top. So but I, I the jazz they're they're here. I mean I started looking who they're playing next week and uh I mean they're gonna they're they're gonna come home and probably be twenty three and five. I mean I, they've got a chance to win every game they play this week. I mean they could lose one but they're in a really good position to separate themselves I mean, not so much maybe from the Lakers and the Clippers but from everybody else in the league.
2: How much do you think we've discovered a little bit of a blueprint going forward, maybe even down to the colleges? Surround a great defensive player. Now, it's hard to get that great defensive player, the caliber of Gobert. I understand that. But maybe go with the philosophy of defense at the rim and then sort of build out from there and make sure that virtually at all times you've got four three point shooters out on the floor. And maybe you lack a little bit of tremendous high-level elite athleticism, but you've got highly skilled guys who can dribble, pass, and shoot combined with that defensive anchor in the middle.
1: No, no, I really like that thought. And I think that the and when I talk about um, teams that their the culture or the maturity of a team, it's, it's when they, they understand – what a good shot is and what a good shot isn't, you know. And, and certainly with the shot clock that's going very quickly, um, I, I think that the one offensive piece that I noticed is that this is a team that it, it's, it's and one and another. You know, what I mean, they're going to make the extra pass because they have confidence in each other, and that instills confidence in your teammates when you are on a team. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a veteran team that understands this game, and you can make that extra pass and make one more and trust that that guy. And the expectation is, hey man, you shoot it. And there isn't anything like, if you know, Donovan Mitchell's a guy that takes all the big shots. Well, that may happen, just kind of organically through the course of a game. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's the mindset of this team. They all believe that they can. And and and, and your your comments on, you know, four four out, shooting the three. Uh, running back cutting action, running Princeton stuff. You know, it's, it's incredible how people pick up in this league. It's kind of a copycat league to certain degrees. I mean, there's only so many things you can do, but spreading the floor and, and there isn't a team out there that isn't running some Princeton principles with back cuts and, uh, curl cuts over the top and back to the ball and things that, uh, that were made famous, uh, at Kingston and the Ivy League. The, if those concepts have become part of the four out where you spread the floor, you get backdoor cuts, you get layups, you get threes. It's hard to guard. And, and when, when you have and, and so the post guy isn't that important in that sense. I mean, he, he can, and for, for Gobert, I mean, he can set ball screens. Uh, he can dive, he can have ball he can have uh, back screens for him dive into the basket, but spreading that floor, opening that floor allows Extra cuts better spacing and uh, taking advantage of, of, of a team that can really shoot the three you start playing like that and I'll tell you what it it's hard to when you get down to a team like that 8 10 12 points it's really hard to come back because they, to just get if you have to go really go out and stretch your defense to 27 28 feet well they already have a system in place, that's exactly how they want you to play them. So now all of a sudden you dribble at a guy, boom, go to catch, back door, the floor's wide open. And, you know, obviously the help rules in, in, the, in the NBA are different than they are in college. And so, you know, you have, to be somebody, you have to be within five or six feet of your man. The floor just opens up when you have four perimeter players and you run good stuff. You know, I, I watch some ugly basketball in the NBA at times. Where the ball's in one guy's hand and, and everybody stands, they don't move, and then they just penetrate. Okay, we've we've all seen that. Yeah. It's like, did you did you have practice this week? I mean, tell me you got somebody that's working with you on offensive principles. But you, that's, I mean, we see teams do this, and to a degree, it works. But at the end of the day, typically, those aren't teams winning championships.
0: You know, Steve, this whole thought about uh, shooting threes and that's the way the game is going, I wonder how much this is getting. Some of it probably is just kids screwing around do it naturally, but how much coaches are getting them into these kind of workouts when they're really young because it, you can't just be a catch-and-shoot thro- guy. You know, can you shoot it off the dribble? Can you shoot it going left? Can you shoot it going right? And to the degree they see Steph Curry and just go out and mimic him, they're get they're getting the work in. But it seems like if you start putting up a lot of shots every day, off the dribble going left, off the dribble going right, catch and shoot, you could, it, it's a skill that I think a lot of kids could add if they just work at it.
1: You know what, I, I, I have grandchildren right now, uh, an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, a, tw- uh, a 13-year-old. And uh, one of them is in Utah, and two of them are here, and they play playing IAU teams. And it, it's interesting to see the really high level of coaching that's taking place. Number one, I know my son Casey, <clears throat> who played for me and uh, in, in junior college, and, and they got in an accident. They couldn't play. But he, he's coaching these teams. I'm so impressed. I mean, I didn't see this 20 years ago, but I'm so impressed with the – the material that's there. I mean, I, I, I look at my my son Casey, who's on YouTube, and there, there's so much teaching and training and different things that you can learn and pick up. And you go and watch 10, 11, 12-year-olds, I mean, they're doing things with the ball that we weren't teaching until players got into high school or college. They're growing up with this mindset. They're watching these players play. Uh, you know, you, when you're teaching a 10-year-old to – uh, basically create separation, you know, with a jab, with a dribble, with uh, a back dribble, and those kinds of things, players are going to get better. So the the young people that are watching this game that are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, they're, you know, I think AAU gets a, a kind of a bad rap. It's to some degree. I mean, there there is a lot of good things happening in a lot of outstanding AAU programs, and you go and watch those and I've had a chance just to kind of watch those from a different perspective as a grandfather, Uh, it's amazing some really, really good teachings going on. And that's going to carry over that by the time these kids are 14, 15, or 16, they know how to create space. They know where the spots on the floor they want to shoot. And I I tell my grandsons all the time, I said, you do not have to be a great shooter from six spots on the floor. I said, I I think it was Jerry West said that, uh, you know, whatever he did – he got to two spots on the floor. The majority of his shots were always the intention was to get to one or two spots on the floor where he had complete confidence in. And I've always kind of believed that as a player myself. When I played, I knew the, the, the right wing and the you know, left baseline corner. I knew where I felt comfortable shooting. You know, these younger coaches, they're, they're talking to kids about these things. That's, that's kind of next-level coaching. I mean, I, I know all the things that are wrong with basketball and everything that goes with that. But the teaching is getting better and, and because there's so much on uh, the Internet. And, and then you go into towns and communities where they've got some wonderful young coaches in towns across the country who are teaching kids how to create space and do things. And everything's being garnered right now throughout the country to help young people play on the perimeter. And well, it doesn't matter if they're the tallest kid in the team, but to help them play on the perimeter, figure out ways that they can get into their best shot, uh, by the use of the, of the ball, by the use of the pass. And so it's kind of fun to watch younger kids. So that, that the NBA is having a great influence and it's, 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 falling down to college as well. You see a way more spread out, uh, focus on the dribble, focus on the pass, ball movement, tons of ball screens. But it used to be, you know, it was just a high ball screen come off at roll and, uh, you know, if they switch, you, you could hit, he, he could you could you come back, pack to him, and, and, and uh, re-screen. But now now it's a ball screen, take it deep, come at a guy as if it were a Princeton cut, dribble right at him, he back cuts. I mean, there's four or five things incorporated in the offense today that I really, really like, that I, I would love to be coaching at this time. And we, we used the three ball, and I ran a lot of quick hitters and a lot of sets for – for my teams, whereas a lot of people just let them play and throw know, Everybody had a different philosophy, but I'm really impressed with the teaching and the NBA has had a huge influence on that, especially with young people. So yeah, I I think that players are going to be way more prepared to play this way. And, uh, and unless they give a two headed behind the head dunk or trick shots inside, I think and it's worth four points. I think that, uh, the three-ball is going to continue to be uh, the main course for the NBA for a long time.
0: Last thing before we let you go, Jonathan Tavernier is on Twitter, and he made a comment about Jordan Clarkson. Basically, you know, so much confidence, never met a shot he didn't like, and hit some outrageous stuff. Then JT tweets out, I've had about a dozen people reach out to me directly and say that I actually might have as much if not more confidence in myself shooting at basketball than Jordan Clarkson. Am I really that big of a slinger? And I tweeted back at him, Your shots are like your opinions. You let them fly. BYU's Clarkson 5, Robbie Reed, JT, Jimmer, and Nick Emery. Twitter, you get to add the fifth. Give me an uber-confident shooter who would never apologize for a shot. You like that list? You get anyone you want to put on it? You want to help Jonathan Tottenham oh. with his self-awareness?
1: Listen, you, know, you know that I recruited JT to BYU. <laughs> in fact, yeah. he, committed to me, he committed to me in my house. And he's a character, and I kind of reconnected with him a little bit because I hadn't been around him. But, yeah, his Twitter is all over the place. <laughs> but, I mean, it's entertaining. Oh, somebody that uh, – are we talking modern-day people? Well, oh, you got to talk about I'm trying to think. Um, wow. He he, he he himself never saw a shot he didn't like.
0: Um, I went with the 25 years I've been watching it, you know, since I've lived here. But uh, other people throughout, Mike Rose, Michael Smith, Danny Ainge. Matt Carlino got a shout-out.
1: You know, uh, yeah, just pure shooters. You know know who... uh, you know who was a, was a great shooter that maybe a lot of people don't know? Uh, two people for me that I, I thought were great shooters and ended up playing a long time in the pros was Trent Whiting and Terrell Day, two guys that played for me who had big-time strokes and, and proved it because they played for, like, 15 years in Europe, you know? And, uh, and I think that says a lot about it. I mean, guys can shoot and be in a different setting, but how long did they play, you know, and where did they play? And but I, in terms of you know they they shot back in that day we were shooting as many uh, mid range shots as we were threes but those were guys that could really shoot it. Mike Rose was I mean I watched him shoot and make eight threes in a row in a game one time. I mean he 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 had a great stroke. There's there's so many been so many great shooters you know, in the state of Utah where they they seem to flourish and grow. But uh, guys that I coached uh, I, I would I would say. Uh, I mean, I got a couple guys that nobody would know, but for people that would know there, certainly uh, Mike Rose could put it up. Uh, and, and Terrell and and, and Trent were, were guys that just got good lift and just made big baskets from deep range. So, uh, but yeah, you, you got to have them. And uh, yeah, JT's carved himself out of ice niche. <laughs> I'm glad you respond. You keep it. Keep him in check, what you, think? No, I don't think that's
0: possible. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best, but no guarantees.
1: Oh goodness gracious! There, there's a lot of freedom on Twitter, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do, go to it a lot. Every, I, I, every day, I'll check something out because I have so many friends and connections, and a lot of my Twitter stuff is based in in uh, in, in Utah. So it's kind of fun to see what people are thinking, but. Everybody's got to be really excited about what's going on with the Jazz, and uh, and I think that uh, you know this probably has been the most dysfunctional college basketball year of postponements and cancellations, and the whole COVID has taken kind of the energy and the excitement. No fans, but my hats off to all the college coaches that I know to endure what they're enduring and dealing with what they're dealing, uh I, I can't even imagine you know finding out a day before hey we're not playing games this week because of the covid protocol so let's hope this goes away and uh, at some point we have a wonderful playoff have we heard anything i have a question for you two we heard anything about conference tournaments Is there, has there been any discussion about having those or not
0: uh commissioners are quiet there's been speculation that you know, some teams aren't going to want to go. The worst teams may not want to go. It may be too big a headache. And the best teams might be thinking, why would we go and want to risk exposure? We're already in the NCAA tournament. But there's contracts yeah. in place, so you know, how do you bail out on those? I mean, you could, but you've got to do business with ESPN in the long run. So do you really want to? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. So I, I haven't heard anything definitive. I expect they're going to end up getting played with a lot of angst built in, but they'll play them anyway.
1: You know it's, it, it's, what's unfortunate is there are teams in your conference where they've played half as many games as, as another team in the conference and how how they're going to evaluate that even evaluating the NC2A tournament I, I mean I guess they'll just use net and go for it but it seems like uh, the the protocol could really impact very negatively certain teams who haven't played a full allotment of games who probably might be worthy to get to the tournament. And uh, so, I mean, in college football, they figured out a way. They just made the decision and did it. But uh, that's going to be a challenge. Is for all of these cancellations and postponed I know BYU's got two games, both got postponed against St. Mary's and San Diego. They're going to play Gonzaga tonight, I guess. But uh, yeah, that, that's going to be a really, really difficult, challenging thing for uh, the powers to be, the administrations, on uh, what this tournament's going to look like and what's fair and what's not fair. And uh, that'll make for more drama at the end of the year.
0: All right. Uh, Steve, we'll let you go on this note. Jeff Judkins heard the discussion. He just texted in a nominee. Jeff Judkins. <laughs> Self-nomination. Unrepentant gunslinger. <laughs>
2: Juddy!
0: <Jenny! laughs> Juddy.
1: You know what? Juddy, he's a good shooter, that's for sure. Did uh, you, know, mean, you know, one of these times we'll have to talk a little bit about uh, my game up at the University of Utah, I was a senior at UC Irvine and Jetty and Jonas and Kiki Burden and, and the boys, we, we went up there in one of those deals, where we, we were doing bye games, we were a brand new division one team. So next time we're together, let me tell you a couple stories about my first experience playing college basketball at the University of Utah uh, at a senior at Irvine and, and, a, and not a very good team. And uh, it was some funny things involving Jetty and and Jonas and a few others.
0: <laughs> All right. We'll get to those next week. Right. Hey, thanks a lot, All Steve. Right. We appreciate it. See you, guys. DJ yeah. PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.